0: Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. The girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Patty's mother was murdered and Lisa lost her mother to cancer. This forged a bond between them that nothing could shake. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website girlfriendit.com and the movement girlfriendit, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on toginet.com.
1: All right. How do you deal with tension?
2: Uh, well, you know, I think that varies depending on your personality and your temperament. And I think think there's, there's like, there's inappropriate ways that we, we do deal with tension. Like sometimes people like will blow up, you know, tension will hit that, that button and cause <laughs> them to blow up. And then there's that kind of lighthearted approach where you kind of laugh your way through it, which I know is more your style
1: than our, <laughs> our style. And I think we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. Yes. And we, I think you and I both, we have a tendency to, um, to, to laugh when when tension hits and, and sometimes I, I actually get embarrassed by that that that's what, what takes place but we um we definitely love to laugh when we are in those tight spots and we're gonna we are going to talk about that a little bit more today but as we know any good storyline is filled with tension points and coming on our show later is Colleen Coble suspense and romance writer with over two million books in print. Well, and before we get too far into our suspenseful thriller of a show, <laughs>
2: um, you're listening to Girlfriend It Radio with Patti White and Lisa Jernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we're going to have more information about today's show and other tips and tricks on our website at girlfriendit.com. And you can also follow us
1: on Facebook and Twitter.
2: Well, you know, Hattie, we were talking, we were talking a little bit before the show just about ways to respond to tension. And then that took us down a path of we were doing some storytelling to each other, like current stories that had happened with you and me just this week separately and stories of our journey, um, in dealing with people. And, you know, we've had a lot of situations and circumstances that have been filled with Tension and just how to navigate through that. And like you said earlier, our tendency is to kind of, um, try to find the humor in it and, and kind of laugh our way through to diffuse that because tension is, is very tense as I would, as I would describe. And I know you brought up a story that takes us back and I am not as good on the details or, or recalling it. <laughs> However, I do remember the emotions. I remember the story. So I remind, yeah, tell us about the, Again, I, I just remember well, when we were working with a ministry organization, and go, I'm gonna let you take it from there.
1: Well, it's just funny because when you say I can remember the emotions, I think so many times when when there is like a, a conflict situation or maybe there's tension, and and you laugh at inappropriate times, you remember the emotion of humiliation as well. Because <laughs> this particular story, we were we were working with the ministry organization, and. Um, we were having a significant conversation. I mean, it literally, we were talking about a partnership, and we were in that that dating stage of really getting to know the other organization. And they were an organization that we were in awe of. And just to be a part of, um, communicating with them and moving forward with them, we were literally jumping up and down in our, and our scans, just thanking God for this incredible adventure and this path that we were on. But we were on a conference call and we, um, I was dealing with, you know, Paris was a baby and I'm over here changing diapers and halfway listening to this very long, detailed story um, from the CEO. And and we have learned that more analytical people, people that are in the CEO positions have a tendency um, to to be very detailed in their conversation and... And so um, I was halfway engaged and halfway trying to do the mom thing so your child doesn't start crying during this very intense conversation. And I just remember he was later, you you filled me in on, uh, I thought he was telling a story that deserved laughter. And sometimes I have a tendency to respond with, um, my kids say it's my, my fake laugh And maybe I was, I didn't mean to be inauthentic in the conversation, but you want them to know you're engaged in their conversation. So apparently I was kind of doing my, (laughs) that little (laughs) Nice, nice. Yes. (laughs) And you were on the other end like, no.
2: I was cringing. I was cringing going, no, don't go there. I could tell you were going there. It's like, don't laugh. Don't laugh. This is not a laughing matter. I yes. think he might
1: have even texted me. I think I did. he might have even tried to warn me like I is, no, don't go there. I think there. He's yes. this was like a tearjerker story. Yes. Um, elderly woman and I was, you know, and it I do remember vaguely it was about the these chairs and um how he was going to, you know, it was a business decision to get the right chairs for this elderly person. And, and yeah, anyway, I laughed at an inappropriate time and and you were over here like, no, and I don't think I ever recovered from that. I think after we hung up and you filled me in on all the little details that I just had to walk away and go, ah, that's. That's when listening really pays off.
2: <laughs> those listening skills, yes. And like I said, you remember the emotion. And I'm, I'm okay when the humility is on your part and you feel that. <laughs> and I just get to watch and go shake my head. So I'm okay with those emotions. And I do remember that emotion. I remember cringing. And it, it is, it's just a constant reminder because we are all so guilty of half engaging, half listening to something. Yes. And sometimes you can get away with it. And sometimes you can't. And, and so just a great reminder. Well, you know, we're talking about the tension things, you know, you have things happening. And, um, I just, just a couple days ago, I met, I met at a, a crowded coffee shop. Okay. And I'm having a meeting with two, two women and, um, and, and, and I'm sitting at a booth and these booths are short booths. Okay. And you know how most of the time at a restaurant, the, the booths are kind of long. And, and so when you, when you have to get out, you have to kind of scoot out and, and whatever. So I had drunk, you know, some, a lot of iced tea and stuff. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom. So I go to get up, not realizing I literally am sitting on the edge of this booth and I put my hand down, like to start to scoot out. Well, there's nothing there because I'm on the edge of the booth. And literally, my hand goes all the way to the ground. And you know how you're like, I can't even stop this. I'm along for the ride. And I happen to have like a wooden bracelet on. And it was like a tile floor. And right behind me was like a glass uh, window. So as I go down, and you know, you're just like, I'm along for the ride. I can't stop this. I don't know how this is going to end. You know, you have that split second. So I land on my hand. My bracelet clicks on the ground and it clicks on the glass. It made the loudest sound. I do remember that. I am on my hands and knees with my boohiney in the air and you know how you're just like, do I want to get up right now or what do I want to do? Because and I I look up and everybody in the coffee shop is looking at me because it made the loudest noise. And you know all you can do because you feel that tension is I you just immediately laugh and then you're like going my hand is throbbing right now. And everybody's like, did you break anything? Are you okay? <laughs> and it's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm really good. You know, and I, I kind of cleaned my, you know, straightened my clothes, you know, my shirt. And um, so then like 10 minutes later, I go to go to the bathroom and the barista's like, ma'am, are you okay? Which, you know, made me giggle. I had to laugh because, and then as I thought about that. Um, the past couple of days, just thinking about it makes me laugh because it diffuses that, like that humility tension <laughs> that you're feeling and you just have to laugh sometimes. And so I think we've all had those situations where you go, okay, I, all I can do is laugh. But
1: we laugh at the fact of there are people out there that won't laugh at that. Like they're so beyond humiliated that you just can't even get over it. Every time you think of it, you just cringe and you and you know, we know people that wouldn't go out for days after something like that. Well, when you're telling that story, I can't help but think of the time we were speaking one time at a women's conference and I was This is not going to make me look good, is it? <laughs>
2: Well, is, we've it, laughed is, is this about- one at my
1: expense or your expense it is at your expense okay. but I i I just I know we just have literally we've laughed about this so many times and um I was up there at the podium and then I was passing the microphone. On to you. So I, you know, said at this point, Lisa will be coming up to blah blah blah. So you started walking towards the podium, and you have your iPad in one hand, your Bible, and I think you had some props too. So you were pretty well loaded up as you were walking up. <laughs> and you hit a cord, your foot hits the cord, and you slowly start moving forward with your feet still behind you. Yes. The- <laughs> And I'm watching it in slow motion and I'm walking towards you as well, getting ready to, you know, hand off whatever. And you, on the way down, you're falling into me. And I, yes. so you're pushing me into this glass wall that's uh, in the in the background. And y- you and I, literally, this was truly in slow motion. It was all happening. Slow. Yes. <laughs> and yet we couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> and Your so we have this, this packed room of women. You, you know, know that their mind yes. is just, yeah, they're just going, No. <laughs> As they're watching this collision taking place, and sure enough, because you had your hands full and and I didn't help out at all because I no, was being flung into the glass wall, you went straight down on your your knee, right. and to the point where you you put not only was your knee completely swollen, but you tore into your jeans. That's how bad you <laughs> felt, and it was the same thing. You're like, no. I'm fine. Thank you. And you had to get up and do an entire like 30 or 45 minute message after that with your knee throbbing with that. It's one of those things where you're moving forward and you're talking and you're like, okay, God, show up big because I need, you've given me this voice here, but, it, but then there's a voice in your head going, that did not just happen. That did oh, not. And you know just- what I remember is it's like my knee
2: literally is throbbing and it's like, I so wanted to go over to you and go okay, I just have to laugh to release because you can feel that inside of you. Like I just wiped out in front of this room of several hundred women <laughs> and um, I kind of acknowledged it a little bit, but it was one of those ones I couldn't even start, like even open the door to like begin to laugh a little bit because I would have totally lost it. Um, you know, where you just like that <laughs> laughter where you can't get any composure and you're crying. So it was very painful on that end, too. Not only the physical pain, but I just wanted to release and laugh. And then when we got done, I think we just went in the corner and laughed and just, I, okay, Can let me release this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So. Uh, you know if those are good memories well we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going we're going to be joined by our special guest best selling author Colleen Gobble and we're going to be talking more about tension suspense and romance we'll be right back stay around
0: This is Girlfriend on TuggyNap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended radio right after these.
3: For more
0: information, go to stadia.cc.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, tune in every Monday night during the debut episode of Paranoia Texas at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, and you will get a chance to win some very cool prizes from McDonald's, Walmart, Geek World, Red Petal Salon, and so much more. All you have to do is listen for the cue, and when you hear this music, call in. That's every Monday night at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, and win those cool prizes.
4: Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind the scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff. And find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything.
1: joining us now is our special guest best-selling author Colleen Coble and Colleen's novels have won awards ranging from the Best Books of Indiana, the ACFW Carol Award, the Romance Writers of America Rita, National Reader's Choice, and the Booksellers Best. She has more than 2 million books in print and writes romantic mysteries because she loves to see justice prevail. Colleen is CEO of American Christian Fiction Writers and she lives with her husband Dave. In Indiana. And Colleen, we are so excited to have you today. Um, we have just been rambling on all kinds of tension stories. So uh, we know, once again, that every story that is a good story ready to tell has lots of tension, and you definitely have that in your newest book. And so we just have to ask you, first of all, to tell a little bit of your story as to um, what led you into writing this particular story.
5: Oh well, it's uh, kind of dramatic, a little bit. I'll, I'll talk about it a bit, but I, I just want to say how excited I am to be with you guys, and I have my coffee here already, so we can really have some girl, girlfriend talk. So, yes, <laughs> awesome. I, I'm awesome. all prepared. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the, the piece, there's a piece of that story that is my um, dear friend Diane Hunt's story, and I can't tell you what part that that is because it'll spoil one of the twists. <laughs> but. <laughs> um, uh, I was going through a really hard time uh, when I was writing that. Um, Di was in her final months with ovarian cancer, um, and we'd just been told that the doctors could do no more. And so one of the themes that um, I really put into that is that family is found in unexpected places sometimes, and... Uh, you know we i always wanted a sister when i was growing up i have three brothers that i dearly love but i always wanted a sister and Di was that sister although she didn't come along you know until i was 50 <laughs> so uh, uh or almost 50 so um it, she was just really had such a huge impact on my life and um she's a, another author as well and uh wrote just hilarious women's fiction um one of her books was made into a Hallmark movie last summer called for better or for worse hmm. and um Dearly loved her. Um, But, you know, just the writing of that was, um, it was somewhat of a solace for me because it was a place I could escape to um, every day when I was writing it where everything was going to turn out okay even though I knew, you know, die was, going to be facing eternity, and that was going to turn out okay, too, because she was a wonderful Christian, and I and I actually was at her bedside when um, she passed into mm. heaven, and you could just sense the Lord right there. It was amazing, but, um, you know, so even the, the writing of that and the story I- itself um, lent itself to a lot of drama and a lot of uh, conflict and tension, as you were talking about. Mm.
2: Well, a um, couple things is um, we just appreciate your girlfriend's heart with a cup of coffee sitting around and having this conversation and then talking about a friend so um, tenderly like that with Di. And Patty and I have talked a lot of times, it's like when you have like, um, uh, you know, we bring in people, like you said, like family and unexpected places and times. And a lot of times they're much closer to us than our own blood family, um, the people That's that true. we bring in and to our hearts like that. And You know, there's something to be said when a friend loses a friend. We're like, we don't really have a term in our culture for that. Like, you know, you you lose a parent, you're an orphan, you lose a spouse, you're a widow. But it's like when a friend, it can be so painful because a lot of times a friend will kind of suffer in silence because their pain is not really recognized. And so just the tenderness of, you know, you talking about your friend and being able to go to that place to write and to kind of, you know, to express and that's that's just that's just a sweet spot because we don't talk about that a lot
5: Mm -hmm. yeah it's so true and i found that to be true too um even during this grieving process she she died a year and a half ago and um i still you know think about her every single day i hear her voice in my head i mean she was a huge huge part of my life and and quite honestly she still is you know the things that i learned from her um one of the one of those things is is you know I've always been one that I believe in turning adversity into making you better um, mm-hmm. and I watched that play out in her life when she faced that very final battle and it was a real encouragement to me too just watching her faith as she walked through that and and the other piece of that is that it, it made me realize how often when we're faced with hardship and pain we kind of don't want to go through it again we kind of push it away and say you know uh, uh we, we isolate ourselves that's the word i was searching for that um because we don't want to experience that again but i tell you what the joy of having um known her and had her part of my life for 15 years is well worth the pain that we walked through in those last four and i you know i would do that all over again and so you know you, you just have to realize when you go through those those situations don't put your barriers up and you know welcome adversity when it comes. I mean, we we can't necessarily be joyful about it, but we can let it, um, you know, let the Lord change us for the better as we go through it.
1: Hmm. Absolutely. And Colleen, I just love your heart. And and I, I... have noticed just as we are, you know, m- maturing in our age, I know I have two very dear friends that are each battling cancer right now. And like oh. you said, in dealing with adversity, how um, many times you you don't know what to say to them as you, you know, my, my one friend, I've been with her through the chemotherapy where they just sit there, you know, all day and you're looking around and it's not a very encouraging place to be. And yet you come home and you, you're a complete different person because mm-hmm. what, you know, trying to find your, your iPhone charger, all of a sudden isn't that big of a deal. <laughs> anymore. Yeah. you're It puts things into perspective that We've, we've come to be such a, um, a spoiled society and what we feel oh, yeah. that's important and um, really just truly looking at what God is doing in your life and um, expecting God to show up. Mm-hmm. and I know so many times and I'm sure you, you felt this with with Di, where you you're praying and you're really not expecting God to show up. It's like you really don't don't believe in those miracles and yet he is the God of miracles and he is the God of you're miracles. seeing the miracles every day. It might not be the way that you wanted the miracle to happen, but just the miracles in the daily is, is what I've been so aware of in watching my friends, um, deal with this kind of cancer and, um, well, boy, you see God's grace show
5: up every day to get you mm-hmm. get your friend and you through that, you know, yes. you may not see, the big miracle, I mean, I pray you do. And, you know, I was just praying for your friend even now as we were talking. And
3: mm-hmm.
5: um, But even if you don't, the miracle of God's grace every day is something we don't often notice until we're in a place like this.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's so true. You're talking about just, you know we we have our own expectation of what the miracle looks like. And it's generally mm-hmm. like to take this away in the future or whatever. And it's like, but instead of just being focused on, on the here and the now and the grace yeah. given in this moment, that is a miracle. Otherwise, we would you And, just, you know, when you know, you're hitting
5: this this kind of a thing, too, you see a bigger picture. I'm just going to very briefly recount um, something about Die for You, just so that you, because, I, I you know, I, when I tell people this, it's like, Wow, I see what you say. She was, um, uh, born, uh, to a woman who wasn't married and to a man who was married. And she went to Sunday school with her grandparents until she was about four and her, her mother abandoned her and then she, her father got custody and wow. they did not go to church, but she took herself on the school bus or the church bus and God, you know, claimed her when she was just a little girl and never let go of her in spite of not being in the ideal environment to foster that, mm-hmm. and at the end of her life, um, as her breasts were growing short, um, her husband said, "Would you get the um, the little statuette off the piano?" And it has the music box. And I went and grabbed it, and it, and I wound it up, and it was playing "Jesus Loves Me." You know, very mm-hmm. familiar childhood mm-hmm. song that we learned in Sunday school, and um, it played. You know, as as the time was you know, nearing, we could sense it, and um, then it stopped, and it it had stopped for a full ten minutes easily, and then as she took her final breath, you could just sense the Lord there, and that music box sprang to life and played out, tinkled out the last refrain of Jesus Loves Me, and it was amazing, because it was a reminder that God's grace goes with us all our life, and he knew her beginning from her end, and he knew exactly her, her life, you know, from the very beginning to the very end, and he was with her even through the hard times when she was a little girl and, and there at the very end with the cancer. And, you know, there would be no more pain definitely in heaven. So it was a really a great reminder to me of how God is in control and he cares about every little thing, even with a little child, all the way till he takes her home.
1: Mm. will you talk a little bit about that that comfort acceptance and love that you're talking about right now can come from the most surprising sources and and circumstances in your your new book the ocean's edge um it sounds like Di is definitely threaded through this book
5: yes she was and and like i said one of the things i wanted to take away is that um you know, God can provide some of those things that we felt were missing in our life, and he did with me and, you know, with her. And uh, so that was, you know, really awesome. And um, the writing of the book, like I said, was, you know, really a solace for me. And, and it's a very, um, got a lot of twists and turns to it and a lot of um, deep, deeper uh, meaning to it maybe than any book I've ever written. And I think that it was because of what I was going through at the time. Mm. Well, and you can't really
2: go through an experience like that without being marked and changed, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and just having a different lens on life and, and, you know, things that used to seem significant really aren't anymore. And you just have a new appreciation even for life and every breath. And what a, what a sweet story with that music box. And just a great reminder that God, it's so personal to each one of us, and what matters, you know like it gave me chills, listening that you know Jesus loves me, which is a children's song, and that was significant, her as a child tip that you know. A faith as a child god loving her through all of that and i think that's just a great reminder for all of us that god is with us in those moments in such a personal way for each one of us and how he just lavishes his love on us well we're going to take a quick break colleen and we come back and we'll continue to talk about you and your book the inn at ocean's edge and just to encourage um each of us in, in just the journey and the stories that god has given us we'll be right back after our break We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt Comfort Zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one-of-a-kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives.
0: Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is the Toby Net Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge.
3: Secret cuisines and sacred rituals is a quest, a place, and a feast. Join host Velasi Venkatachalam every week to explore myths, mystique, old medicine and brilliant modern solutions through a dazzling kaleidoscope of cuisines, cultures, and cures. This is the place where tribes gather, strangers and familiars, to be memory keepers and makers of our evolving, enduring, evergreen, spoken legacy of wisdom and ingenuity. In Velasi's words, when we We do old things in new ways and new things in old ways. We paint with an inspired palette. Weave our own healing traditions and become our own guru. Velasi is a troubadour of secret cuisines and sacred rituals. She collects stories of wisdom, ingenuity, and grit. She believes wellness and transformation happen when you stand at the threshold of delight and discovery. She displays her hidden penchant for drama when she leads the safari at the supper club. Her favorite pastime is... Is to extol the marvels of cuisines, cultures, and cures to her audience in workplaces, seminars, and salons. Her mantra is, be your own guru. She is a biochemist, botanist, and alchemist who likes to churn delightful, useful things from a brew of art and science, ancient and evolving, old medicine and new cures. Join Velocity every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. <laughs>
1: Well, you are listening to best-selling author Colleen Coble, and she has more than two million books in print and writes romantic mysteries because she loves to see justice prevail. And uh, Colleen, we, we were just getting off of um, before commercial break talking about um, just being able to see God and just those moments that uh, you don't expect Him to show up. And I, I just want to switch uh, topics just a little bit and, and go into, um, more about your, your book, The In at Ocean's Edge, where you are talking about, um, meeting a family with many secrets. And what's the difference between discretion and hiding the truth? Because, um, it's funny because you, you don't realize how many secrets really do exist in families. And as you get older, you start, it's almost like you're becoming more in those reflection years where people are sharing more of the <laughs> secrets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I love that, that question. It's like, what is the difference between discretion and, and hiding the truth?
5: Well, um, one of the things that it, it, makes a difference to me when I'm looking at that particular question is um, when you're hiding the truth, it's often to save yourself. It's mm. often to protect yourself from consequences that you don't want known. Discretion can be um, so that someone else isn't hurt. Um, you know, like uh, I wouldn't necessarily tell my friend that that pink dress, you know, doesn't look uh, makes her look fat, for example, <laughs> you know, yeah. even though that that's what I believe. But the discretion part would be you wouldn't want to hurt her feelings, you know, and um, so you might not say that. But a secret often it's not really to protect the other person. It's really usually to protect yourself. And so the it's driven by selfish motives um, quite often. And uh, in The Inn at Ocean's Edge, that was the secret there too. Um, you know, it was very much driven by some very selfish emotions or very selfish uh, uh, desires in that case.
1: Well, we live in a culture that I think is driven by selfish motives. And oh, yeah. um, it, it, as a matter of fact, Lisa and I were just discussing the whole, not to get into the, um, <laughs> into this topic, but with Caitlyn Jenner coming out on Vanity Fair, um, you know, talk about some family secrets there that were exposed but also just living in that, that age of consumerism where everything is about my happiness and I want everything custom-made to what pleases me. Um, how are you able to keep your own children grounded where you, they don't get so caught up in this, um, this decadent society that it's, it's all about my self-absorbed happiness?
5: Well, luckily, my children grew up in an era um, that it wasn't quite so bad. But we were, even then, we were making conscious choices not to give them everything. And we required them to have a job when they um, wanted something. Um, even our daughter, you know, when she wanted uh, – she was wanting designer jeans, for example, just as, as an example of this. And we told her, um, fine, but you buy them yourself. And she, we gave her a job of uh, – Doing the laundry. She was eight years old when she started doing the laundry, and at that point we gave her five dollars a week. (laughs) You know, that wouldn't motivate a whole lot of us today, but uh, an eight-year-old, yeah, that was that was enough. And she saved that money, and then when she went to go buy the designer jeans, she realized how much they would cost and how much more she could get buying them at a, you know, buying something else at a cheaper price that looked that was just as good a quality and mm-hmm. so it taught her about the value of work and the value of uh, watching what you spend so that it's not stupid and um, both of our kids got jobs outside the home when they were 15 so um, you know they we, you know we wanted them to learn the value of a dollar and to learn how to work it today they um both are business owners and you know they really are great people and, you know, very conscientious, good Christian kids and, you know, we're very proud of them. But we made some conscious choices um, when they were younger to to make that happen. And now we have a a six-year-old granddaughter and, uh, you know, it's hard to watch this this current uh, culture uh, when everything is so driven by that and you can't even watch TV without you know, so, so much of that. I mean, there was some of that back when we were raising our kids, you know, in the 70s and 80s, but um, not like there is today. And so, you know, we're trying to instill some of those things into our granddaughter as well, and so is our son. Um, but, boy, is it a hard world that we live in.
1: It mm-hmm. is a hard world. I tell you, I, I have a just turned teenager, and I value reading. And my my t- two older kids, they... They're avid readers. And so um this one, you know, she likes to read, but she's kind of hitting that. She's just going into high school. So we're on vacation up in a cabin and a couple of things that took place that I just I realized, okay, this is like having a whole different family almost because of what's taken place in social media and what they're what they're seeing on TV versus what my other two children saw. Because the the first part is I actually had to ask her. I said I will give you five dollars if you if you read this book, and I've I my husband looked at me like seriously we're bribing our kids now to read a book. The funniest part of it is she she looked at it and she went nah that's okay. <laughs> So I thought,
5: you didn't even want the $5. Huh? And I
1: thought, okay, really? I can't even, you know, pay you to read the book. And then the other part was my husband forgot his bathing suit. And so I just said, you know what? I, I There's really no stores here where we are. And I said, I'll just run up to Walmart and grab a, a swimsuit for you. And um, she turned her nose up to that. Like, you are not. Buying at Walmart, (laughs) and And that's what Carrie used to do too.
5: You know, Uh, she didn't want to buy something at Walmart of all places, but she changed her mind when she was earning the money.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, I was like, okay, whose child are you? Like, (laughs) where did this (laughs) come?
5: Oh,
2: do you, do you find yourself, Colleen, just taking so much, uh, from life around you and, you know, the experiences even within your own family with things around you and, and then you incorporate that into your writing and, and how, how do you do, I mean, are you constantly, I'm just amazed. I wish I could sit down and just write and just express and create and tell the story. Um, so we want to get inside your head and if you got inside of ours, it's a scary place, but I don't think yours is that scary. (laughs) I think yours is intriguing, but how do you, how do you do that and develop characters? And do you take from like real life with your family and kind of modify that?
5: Uh, it does. I, the joke, the kids, the joke in our family is that nothing is sacred with mom. If if Mm. it's going to happen to you, it's probably going to end up in a book. So when our, Mm -hmm. um, Son start, uh, got a Harley and started, you know, r- bike riding. I ended up having a Harley riding hero in one of my stories. When the kids started scuba diving, uh, I was writing the Aloha Reef books and scuba diving. You know, ended up in the book. And uh, so, yeah, you know, all of those personal experiences um, definitely play a role in uh, the stories that I create and the characters that I come up with. It's you know, you've always heard the adage, what, write what you know. And uh, I think when it comes to characters and uh, what we know as people and about ethics and behavior and all of that. It all plays a role in that. And I also think that that's um, one of the reasons that um, I tell young aspiring writers. um, You mentioned I'm CEO of uh, ACFW, so I I speak to a lot of aspiring writers. And I I always tell them, give Give it time. You know, I, I see stars in their eyes when they're 18 years old, and they don't have the stories in them yet. Um, mm. You know, they, they need some life experiences. They might have had some up to there, but um, the life experiences and the things that we go through and the people that we come across and the situations that we're put into, those all go into um, really fertilizing the imagination and deepening the stories that they'll go on to write when they're a little older.
2: How do you do... You- Uh, You obviously can see things that other people don't see to write Um, and you're looking at people and you're looking through a different lens. How has this like um, affected you and just in your interpersonal relationships with people? I mean, just have you feel like you have a a deeper appreciation and a a different understanding for just like, you know, the human soul and nature. The human
5: condition. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, And that is true. You know, I, uh, I'm a, pretty intuitive kind of person and and i'm i'm fairly um sympathetic and empathetic with people and i think writing has just deepened that and um i i like to know what makes people tick and what their thoughts are and um you know so i love talking to people i'm very much of an extrovert um so you know i love being around people and getting to hear their stories and and their experiences and what they think and what makes them tick. And one of the things is that, as you know, the older I've gotten and the more life experience that I've had is that um, so many of us wear masks and, and it's hard to get past that, to get to the real person. I and, mean, you know, what makes one person who uh, finds his wife having an affair, what makes him pull out a gun and shoot her where the other person might go to church and pray and, Ask God to help him deal with it. You know what? Mm-hmm. What exactly makes a person tick when they're faced with the unfathomable? Some some people snap, and some people it makes them stronger. And um, so it's interesting to me just to see different character arcs that way, and and what you know what makes somebody? Why do they behave the way they do? So it's it's you know I, I'm very much a student of human nature, and it's very interesting to me. <laughs>
2: You know, it is, it's fascinating. Human, you just like you, you're giving those scenarios. It's fascinating how one person responds a certain way and another, another way. You know, one destructive, one, you know, productive. And it is fascinating. It's like, what is in your storyline that, um, that ha- that allows you to to respond that way. Well, um we're going to have to take an, another break. And we just want to remind our our listeners that you uh recently co- I mean, recently authored The Ann at Ocean's Edge. And how can they find this book and find more about your other cuz you're you're starting a series, the Sunset Cove series. It's a part of that. How in 30 seconds how do they find that?
5: Uh, well, if they go to my website, com, c o l l e e n c o b l e dot com, there are links to all the online places to to purchase them, and then uh, any bookstore, Barnes and Noble, you know, most uh, any store, all Christian stores, pretty much will have it. So I'm um, I'm pretty much everywhere you might want to look, and even okay. Walmart um, is carrying them. So
2: awesome! That's that's great. That's going to be kind of surreal to see that. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back.
0: From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying To 14 ways to get a baby to eat And so much more It's Baby and Toddler Instructions With Blythe Lipman On toginet.com Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio A chance for you to let your hair down Curl up with a mug of whatever you love And have some nice girl talk It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa.
1: Well, we are talking with Colleen Coble, author of the Sunset Cove series. And Colleen, we started off the show just talking about how every good story has tension. And somehow that made Lisa and I go down the path of times that we laughed at inappropriate, it laughed inappropriately during <laughs> tension moments. And um, so one thing that I'm getting ready to go to church camp with a bunch of high schoolers, and I always have them go around and talk about a time, you know, their most embarrassing moments. And that's always the worst because... Cause you can never think of those moments when all eyes are on you. So now that you have thousands of listeners listening in, I'm going to ask you, can you think of that that tension moment that you've had where you that was the best way you knew how to handle it was just to laugh? Do you have a moment that you can think of off the top of your head?
5: This is so you know, and I when i uh, when I'm even upset, I tend to laugh nervously. That's just like who mm-hmm. I am. But the very most embarrassing moment of my life, I was at church, and uh, I ran into the bathroom and uh, came out. And and when I came out of the stall, I noticed a couple of the teenage girls were giggling, and I didn't think anything about it. I just went on out into the sanctuary. The next thing I knew, one of those girls' mothers came up behind me and yanked my skirt down because I had gotten the the hem of my skirt tucked into the top of my pantyhose. Yes. (laughs) And, oh, my gosh, even now when I think about it, it's just – Oh, I mean, I laughed because I couldn't do anything else but laugh. But inside, I was so mortified, and yes. I've never ever forgotten that moment ever. <laughs> it kind of scarred you, didn't it? It scarred you for life. It does. Yes, so, believe you me. When I okay. go into the restroom now, I make sure, if I'm wearing a skirt, I make sure that that skirt has is
0: down. Yes,
1: <laughs> you're always thinking, okay, why wouldn't I have checked that out before I left the restroom? Yeah, thinking, right. <laughs> Why wouldn't those girls tell you? Go,
5: excuse me, Mom. I know. Their mother was so mad at them that they let me walk out of that bathroom without telling me. They just giggled yes. about it. <laughs>
1: so. Yeah. Unfortunately, I would have been one of those teenagers because, uh, yeah, I would find great glee in that. (laughs) Yeah, maybe they wanted to see me see what I would do in front of everybody. I don't know. That is funny. Well, since we have that takeaway, that image of you and laughing, what would be your main (laughs) spiritual takeaway that you want your listeners to walk away um, after reading your new book?
5: Uh, You know, the main spiritual takeaway that I I want them to – actually, there's two. One is that you find, you know, God will provide the missing hole in your life if you let him. But even bigger than that, I want readers to realize that everything happens – everything that happens in your life can be used to make you better. Um, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how horrific of a thing that you've gone through. If you let him, God will will use that to hone you and make you into a better person. If you hold it to yourself and you think about it and um, let bitterness and anger take over, over, oh, poor me, you know, this is what's happened to me, it will make you worse. You know, it will be to your detriment. But all you have to do is let go of that and ask God to, help you use that to make you into a better person and and he will and he does and things come into our life to mold us and shape us and when we resist those you know we, we never become the person that we can be
1: mm-hmm.
2: that yeah. is so true and it goes back to you know we always say you know it does it make you bitter or does it make you better and right. i you know yeah. that's a choice we each have to decide how yeah. we're going to let the a circumstance choice. yeah to to alter us and to, and to define us because i think a lot of times we allow those circumstances in life to start defining us and then we live that out and then we become that um, the victim or we become, right. you know, what? And that I hate person. that.
5: I, you know, I, I am not a victim of anything. Um, God ha- has used adversity in my life to shape me, but that doesn't make me a victim. And I, you know, I that's one thing I, you know, I'm very adamant about when I write, too, is that my heroines have all overcome bad things in their lives, but they've not let, you know, those things have not defined them. They have not let themselves be defined by them and become, you know, taken on a victim label. They've overcome. They're all overcomers.
2: And that's such a great message because you do see so many people that take on and, um, the victim mentality and they don't want to own it and they don't want to, you know, have the responsibility to work through it. And it's easier just to kind of settle and be the victim. And it's what's happened yeah. to me. And so I think it is really good to give us those role models, you know, through these books so we can identify and go, well, maybe there's a different way I should be thinking about this or handling that and to just to show, you know, another way, a better way. Um, in dealing with that. So, I think that is, I think, you know, we need to be having those role models in different, you know, media forms to, to just show us what could be.
5: Well, yeah. And, even and you kids. know, there have been some studies that have come out about how reading fiction makes you more empathetic. And I think it is because we're able to enter into another person's thoughts and see how they handle things and, uh, understand what other people are going through when they're faced with certain situations and, um, you know, I, I think it's super important.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think, especially in um, this culture, I, I've seen that with in junior high and high school with that victim mentality. And I don't know, maybe they need to be reading more fiction to <laughs> make them mm-hmm. empathetic rather That's than. That's what I've wondered
5: too. If, uh, yeah, you know, if it, it's like, if it is was it more focused watching, that way?
1: Yeah, watching way too much Disney or what, what the deal is. But mm-hmm. it's almost cool. To be overwhelmed, to have a huge, massive, oh, poor me story, or to have something where they're getting attention in a negative way. And maybe, you know, every generation where we've looked at, you know, I know my kids will say, I I think you have a skewed lens of the millennials, mom. Um, We're not all that way. And I, I agree. There's fabulous things that the millennials are doing and, and very positive and, um, you know, just in incredible leaps and bounds with what they're doing with technology, et cetera. But, um, this, coming into a new world and culture of cutting. And um, I I was reading somewhere where they were saying social media gives them an opportunity to stay in that victim role because Mm. they talk about it back and forth through um, the, you know, their Instagram and then they put it on Facebook and then they put it, they tweet it out (laughs) and then they put it on Snapchat. So it's just this ongoing, it's like, okay, move on now. You know uh-huh. give it up to the Lord and find out what your next step is
5: right, right, exactly. Take the next well, step you know to to overcome to be an overcomer it 's a lot better than being a victim,
2: yeah, absolutely.
1: move victoriously rather than be the the victim and i I, I do think whatever it is that I've even noticed, even in the the church camps, that's what they're talking about. They're dealing with how do you deal with being overwhelmed? How do you deal with depression? And I just think back when we were in high school, I don't remember that even being a part of the conversation.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I don't either. You know, when I was in high school, you know, we never talked about that or even thought about it. And, you know, it's, it's like, Everybody dwells on all of that today because there's so much of it somehow.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Well, I love your your spiritual takeaway that we definitely can can move beyond. And um, I have to ask you, we just have about five minutes left before the end of the show. What What are your thoughts in moving forward? And what kind are you going to stay in this uh, style of writing? Or do you feel like God has other plans for you? What are your next steps?
5: Uh, Yeah, the sequel is uh, Mermaid Moon, and it's uh, set in Sunset Cove also. And, again, there are some family secrets that are going to come out. And um, I love writing romantic mysteries. That's just, you know, that's like my sweet spot. And I started writing um, just uh, small romances, but my dream was always to move into mysteries because that's what I read as a child. And there's something about making sure justice prevails mm-hmm. <laughs> you know we can we have no control over our life out in the world and you know or the world that we see ourselves in that seems so full of injustice but um i can sure make sure that it happens in my novels and that that there is that takeaway i love being able to write about um uh women who are overcoming um adversity and and it's making them stronger and, and to see their spiritual journey in that story mhm
2: and that's a message that needs to be told and needs to be to encourage women um, to to move past and, and to see that you know and and that and God is us using our stories not to be a victim but to really to encourage each other through our stories and um, and and you know, like you said the justice because it's so easy to just be caught up and and see the hopelessness and the despair but mm-hmm. and so it's got to be therapeutic to be able to write and go I'm going to create the, I'm going to show the justice here. Um, It is very
5: therapeutic that way. I I try not to watch. I mean, I used to just love watching the news all the time, but it just got to where it it was affecting my soul, you know, my Mm -hmm. outlook. And so I don't even watch it very often. Once a week or so, I might log in and just kind of see what's happening. But the rest of the time, the media just hammers away at negative, 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 depressing, depressing. And, you know, we don't need to feed ourselves that.
2: No. No, not at all. Okay. So where do you get the greatest set? Do you, well, this is a question I always want to, do you have a rhythm to, to, uh, to your life, your lifestyle with writing, with just absorbing what's around you, being a student of a people of characters of situation. Do you have that rhythm that allows you to write and to create?
5: Yeah, I pretty much write every. You know, day. I'm working every day. Um, and I'm noodling on new ideas, and I, I see things that are happening, and I jot them down into my idea folder. And um, I, tr- I always make sure I have plenty of time for my granddaughter and my children and my husband and church and you know, I've pretty much found that rhythm that works for me, and, and, you know, I'm happy and content and thrilled that the Lord has allowed me to do what I love to do, and I plan to do it as long as I have breath. So, it's you know, it's pretty awesome to be able to do what I feel like God has called me to do.
2: And I think that is, it's something to be said to be in your sweet spot and to feel like you're in that place where God has created you and allows you to give back and to express and to encourage. Because it's like not only are you creating entertainment, but you're creating encouragement for so many through your writing and, and even allow them to escape into a place where justice still can prevail, you
5: know? Yes, That's that's always my goal.
2: And that's so fabulous. Okay, well, Colleen, we just want you to know how much we appreciate you being on our show. And the time went by so fast. We love your extrovertedness and your highly caffeinated self. So thank you for for bringing your cup of coffee to the table with us and joining us. And just sharing your heart and sharing your writings. And we just want to encourage everyone to, to, Colleen, Kabul. And we have you on our website where people can find you also. But um, just thank you for sharing your gift and being obedient to God and how he's used you in a remarkable way. So thank you all for joining our show. And um, just be aware of how you deal with tension today. Are you, is there something you can laugh at and uh, can release? Have a great day. We'll talk to you next time.